Yes, Happy New Year. It's the noise, the noise. It's your boy Jay Barber. As we slide into 2022, hope all your print dreams come true. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's the noise. It's that time of the year where I lend my talents and my platform to help promote Print Austin. It's a wonderful artist-led nonprofit working with venues and artists in the Austin, Texas area to showcase traditional and contemporary approaches in printmaking. This year's festival starts January 15th and lasts through February 15th, offering virtual and in-person experiences. One of the signature events at Print Austin is the 5x5, showcasing five amazing printmakers. This year's juror, Caitlin Clay, curator of exhibitions at the Art Museum of Southeast Texas. I'm happy to talk with one of the selected printers, Mr. Ryan O'Malley, how you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. How are you doing? doing I'm Joel? good, man. I'm good, Joe. So, Ryan, you are artist, educator, event organizer, and traveler, <laughs> as yes, you put yes. it. So that's what's up, man. I'm so happy to be able to talk to you, man. Uh, congratulations on being uh, included in the Five by Five, man. How you feel about? Thank you. How you feel about it? Yeah, I feel great about it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an honor. I know there was a lot of applicants. So I'm just glad that I made the the list um i've been going to print austin since its beginning um particularly hosting a uh, exhibition called pressure island that's been uh, composed of my students uh, undergrads grads faculty staff and alumni and then when we have people come in and print with us from uh you know uh, that we'll we'll publish through full court press um, which is our student publishing organization we'll have them included in the show as well so um yeah print austin is just super super good to me and my students year after year and it's it's just become a really um amazing event that you know we look forward to every year um because it, it particularly gives my students the time to shine which is great because we're down here in corpus christi and you know close to all these major texas cities but it's um real opportunity for our students to get out and to to see a bunch of other types of printmaking other types of cultural experiences so um yeah i kind of went on a tangent about, about <laughs> students there but uh no, that's, but, yeah, no, that's I, awesome man and so people that don't know you are a professor of art and graduate coordinator at texas a&m at corpus that's christi yeah. yeah so you know yeah yeah but i mean I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this and um you know the big event that they hold at, at canopy when they have the contemporary print you know yeah. uh frames really well with print expo that comes at the tail end um so really excited about both of those um, yeah, so both of those opportunities. So, will you be there in person this year? Yeah, definitely. I'll be up there for that. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting up there. We're going to be in Austin a lot uh, between the five by five, and then my wife Cassie, uh, Cassie White, is curating a exhibition of Finnish printmakers that's going to be at oh um, nice a gallery there in Austin, and uh, so we're going to be up there installing that exhibition, and then. Uh, we've got Pressure Island this year called Variant Editions. Um, is going to be at Slugfest, the Mighty Slugfest uh, Press and, and Gallery, and then uh, then we'll be present for Expo. So we're going to be up there quite a bit, um, installing, deinstalling, and then showing up for events and supporting all the the cool things that Pronostins put together. Yeah, and that's got to be exciting because uh, last I heard from you, even I, and I met you at the last in-person uh, print Austin, uh, which was a great time, phenomenal time. Yeah, but last yeah, right I, before we went into lockdown. Yeah, last I heard from you was that Hello Print Friend interview that you did. 
where you yeah. were on it talking about uh, it was just at the beginning of the lockdown. Little did we know right. <laughs> what, what all the year would entail for us. But uh, yeah. talk about that. How's it? How does it feel to be back for you and like coming out? And how do you feel about where we are right now? Well, good question. I mean, when I talked to Miranda with Hello Print Friend back in the time, there was all kinds of um, things going on between, you know, social unrest and, and pandemic and uh, just all kinds of uncertainty about the upcoming election. And yeah. um, it was a really interesting place to be given an interview <laughs> because I, I didn't really feel at the time like I had a whole lot to contribute sort of to that to that discourse at that time um because we were so thick in in the thick of it you know yeah. and um so yeah that was that was a crazy time we we um we were really fortunate here in in corpus despite having a lot of difficulties with covid but our our classes had been um in person since the fall of 2020 uh we were doing um we're kind of like splitting up our classes across days. So like my Tuesday and Thursday class, half would meet on Tuesday and half would meet on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. But at the very least we were able to be face to face with our students. Everybody was masking and, uh, it just, man, I'll t I'll tell you what, when students were able to get back into the studio, um, it, some of the best work I've seen coming out of the print shop has happened over the last year. And I think there's just been this, this real urgency to be a part of, um, you know, an environment where people could be together, Yeah. you know, to be yeah. having, having personal interactions that weren't through zoom or, you know, FaceTime or e emails or all these other platforms, yeah. you know? So, um, and, and one thing that I would do every, at the beginning of every semester since we've been together is just setting an intention of like being there, being present, making work, um, and sort of focused on that and, and using those three hours or whatever of the, class period to be present in the classroom be present with one another and just kind of see what came out of that and uh, a lot of really good work a lot of um, good discourse a lot of uh, positivity so um, it's you know we're learning how to deal with it and that's that's what we had to yeah. do because there's so many forces that are outside of our control the only thing that we can do is to be present and I, I, to get out on to a weird tangent here but I kind of feel like you know, the last couple of years have, have like split us into two very distinct realities. You know, there's our, our physical reality where we're like feet on the ground, touching, feeling, smelling, you know, engaging our senses. But then there's this whole other reality that's consumed in, in online platforms. Um, I've seen it in, you know, people that have children that are in like, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old, like, this really formative time have been spending, you know, so much time online, you know, talking to friends and things. I have a, I have a, a couple that have a daughter and, and she would start talking about things she'd do with her friends, but she would be kind of moving seamlessly between things they would do online and things they would do in person. Mm, yeah, yeah. It was like, it, it sounded bizarre to hear this sort of like seamless transition of these experiences through these two very separate and very real realities, you know? So, um, kind of in response to that coming back around is that like, I have been really trying to focus on, um, helping my students be present, you know, being, being in the shop together, like experiencing things with, with all of their senses and to be really sort of mindful of that in a way to, 
sort of combat the the malaise, the fatigue, the you know, the frustration with things that are completely out of our control. So, oh yeah, um, yeah, because it really put it in perspective. Especially maybe you as an educator can talk about this too. And I I've experienced this. The classes that I taught, the drawing one classes that I taught online during that time, I really feel like they were shortchanged from getting like the real experience of. Yeah. Like me being there, like looking at the object that they're drawing, looking at their yeah. drawing, look at how they're sitting, all the things that the little stuff that you can go and suggest, like they don't get that. And especially in printmaking, which is all about what you're doing on the press, how you're setting up the physicality, the analog nature of it, uh, yeah. you lose it on, on digital. Like it's not quite the same. So I find right. that and maybe your students are doing the same thing. There's a hunger for it. Right. Yeah. Like, like with my children uh, were when well, my daughter's 13, my son is nine. So they had yeah. a complete, really hung, real hunger, especially my daughter, to get back with their friends. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. know, like physically, yeah. like, let's be there, like, like I'll mask up, I'll do the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll follow I your rules. Like, parenting through all this. Yeah. Again. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> that's, that's a different kind of work. It was craziness. Sure. But it's the same thing I always say about printmaking, where the more digital things become, the more precious our analog nature of what we do becomes yeah. too, right? And yeah. in a response to it, because, you know, it's just like in Boston, you'll spend two hours trying to get in Boston to look like in Boston with a pencil. Mm-hmm. But if you would actually physically run it through the press, get your in Boston, there's nothing like that sensation. Like it can't be like replicated digitally at all. Oh yeah. I mean, especially with the processes that happen underneath the blankets. Exactly. Know, yeah. Pulling those back and, and checking to see what your what your your plate revealed or your your block. You yeah. know, there's there's a little gasp, you know, it's like a <laughs> huge shot of endorphins that, that happens at that point. But yeah, I mean, teaching online, I really quickly realized that just so much of it's just novelty, you mm, know. Yeah. Uh when it comes to print in that regard. I mean, you can do a lot of things with relief and um you know the uh polyester plates smart plates prono plates man they they print beautifully with spoons so um you know there's there's things that we learned there i saw a lot of people innovating in really great ways i think there was a a huge boon in like innovation and, and expanding the field of printmaking um but for me you know the important thing for me is being physically present in that space with students and learning things together, you know, and trying things out and experimenting and, uh, you know, uh, nobody's got a stone in a litho press at home. Like there's something that's, I mean, just lith- lithography is a process, especially when people are drawing on stones. It's, uh, more than anything, that's like this huge, um, boost in confidence, Yeah, you know, and being able to, to procedurally, create something that's half magic you know so yeah there was just such a such a hunger coming back from the students when we were able to get especially when we were full full steam ahead uh full classes going forward um like i said some of the best work was coming out of those times and some really experimental stuff and um and it was just there was that uh urgency to be there doing that work together you yeah. know and i think that's one of the positives that's coming up, come out of all of this is it's, that people really see that that sort of power of community um, and, the, and togetherness and how much innovation comes out of being right next to somebody as they're thinking through a problem on the press. Right. right. Yeah. In response to what they're doing. 
Tell me yeah. this. Did, they, did you do you see the content changing in terms mm-hmm. of what they were making? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like there's like there's always sort of themes like thematic things that happen um, year to year uh, in terms of like imagery and content that people are using. Um, you know, down here in South Texas, uh, it's it's a it's an interesting thing because our you know Corpus Christi is a fairly large city and and we're kind of the top of the Rio Grande Valley, which is a very populous place. Um, but there's like creativity like creative um opportunities that exist in like major metropolitan areas like atlanta or houston or you know san antonio austin is are you know kind of distant concepts to a lot of our students are i think about 55 percent of our, our student body here at AM corpus are first generation college students hmm. and a lot of the times especially when we go up to print austin this is one of the things that i think is so special you know, we'll have these these exhibitions in Austin, and some of these students have never been in an exhibition before. But a lot of these students have never been further north than San Antonio. You know, and see them bring their parents to the gallery and and experience like this really cool cultural opportunity with their families. And it's just um, kind of getting off topic of of content, but um, it's just a, it's an amazing thing to see. Uh, so, you know, I, I, a lot of the stuff that especially representing our our student body here there's a lot of um a lot of students kind of deal with like folklore mm-hmm. and um you know we're so close to the to the to the border with mexico a lot of people are fo- focusing on like border issues and things like that but you know a lot of the the work is is kind of you know there's a lot of fantasy you know and i think I think that's a good place for people to sort of like reach into when everything is so uncertain and unknown. They start kind of writing their own stories um, through that. So I don't know if that's a really good answer to the question. No, but, that's a great um, answer. Yeah, that's a great answer. And it, and it makes a lot of sense because it also reflects the different experience backgrounds that people are having. And so so I, I would imagine at 19, 20, going and having done art your whole life, maybe not being around a cultural center like somewhere, like maybe not having like galleries everywhere. I grew up in North Carolina. There weren't any galleries around that you see. There were no artists that, no full-time working artists making a living on their artwork and within 200 miles of where I was. And so, right. no, I don't get to get to experience that or see it, but growing up yeah. in Atlanta and getting to see it, or even them at 19 or 20 having never seen it and going up to print, going up to print Austin and you see a room full of hundreds of people that either are doing printmaking or love printmaking, just the art form of it, that people that and you see that people are collecting art, like paying real money for <laughs> a product that is not a shoe or a shirt or, yeah, you know, yeah, or a yeah. car or gas. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, um, it's a whole nother world like like you were describing, but it gives you the sense of there's a bigger world in this thing that I already love where I could find my place in. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had a, you know, a similar upbringing. I grew up in Laramie, Wyoming, um, you know, and we were two hours to Denver, um, but we didn't get down there all the time. And, and luckily we had the University of Wyoming there in Laramie. So like my mom and I in particular would go to lots of, um, Lots of, go see lots of musical concerts that the university would bring in. I remember seeing like Bella Fleck and man, uh, when I was 
playing in the jazz band playing trumpet and Wynton Marcellus came through. Oh, wow. That was was spectacular. And I got to, you know, I got to go backstage and meet him. And, um, and that was, you know, those sort of opportunities were great. And, uh, there's a really beautiful museum that that's there on campus, but that was kind of the extent of it for me until, you know, I got to, to undergrad. I, I mean, I was in, University of South Dakota. So I was, I went from a town of 30,000 to a town of 11,000, <laughs> you know, uh, but being kind of between Minneapolis and Omaha and Kansas City and stuff, there was a lot of, you know, there's a, it was kind of this sort of level up in terms of the experiences. But, you know, when I was 18, 19, 20, you know, all I could really make art about was what I knew, which at that time was, athletics Mm, you know and like the the things that sort of cycled around that which was drinking culture i mean there was like (laughs) there was really not much you know and um fortunately unfortunately when i was 19 i broke my neck um oh and (laughs) i was i was laying on the beach like I i was with my friend out in delaware and we were body surfing and i got toppled by a wave and uh hit the bottom of the ocean and my, oh. my head stopped but my body kept going and snapped my neck and oh i remember laying on the beach and i was like man this is going to be i didn't know the extent of my in- injuries but i was like this is going to be life-changing like what is this going to mean for me um because i was you know i was swimming and doing track in college and you know despite what they say athletics are your life that's like that comes first when you're a college athlete. oh yeah and, oh yeah you know, they try to say otherwise, but it's not true. Um, <laughs> but you know, I was like, I gotta, it's time to get serious about something. So I started putting, you know, all of my energies into art because I, I, I was an art major, but, um, I was just kind of a mess around guy. And, uh, you know, that really changed everything for me. And it started to sort of change my content, um, drastically. I started thinking about things more existentially and I started making work kind of responding to that. Um, but what it also forced me to do was translate what I knew of, about athletics into art. And, you know, the one thing I try to tell students about a lot, and not a lot of my students are athletes. In fact, most of them aren't. And I don't think that's, that's, it's pretty novel that artists are also in athletics. It's not, <laughs> not impossible, but it's not generally where, where athletes gravitate, you know, but, um, I, I'd like to, I started thinking about this concept of like, you know, you, you train and train and train, you work and work and work and you get to a certain point, you know, where you improve to a certain point where the improvements start coming in smaller and smaller increments. Mm. And like, how do you continue to get better? Well, at that point you focus on the minutia, right? It's the little things, it's the little movements, you know, it's these, these tiny little things that you don't think about. And so that's really what kind of helps propel people forward in the arts when you get to a certain point where you're kind of understanding the process, you're understanding content, then it's about the minutia. Like if I hold this, this scraper, just a, just a half an angle to the right, it changes how I'm, I'm scraping on a plate, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, but that also comes into this idea of being present, you know, cause you can only focus on that minutia if you're paying attention to these little tiny things, right. you know? Right. And you can only do that by being present. So, you know, it kind of co- goes hand in hand. Um, I had this experience when I got out of grad school, I worked for a artistic stonemason in Denver and the interview that I had when I I sent in my cover letter and everything applying for the job and 
decided I would take some mezzotints in just to kind of show him that I have artistic chops. And he looked at my prints and he said, I can tell by the quality of your work that you have a facility for tools and patience. And that's the two things that I need for this job. Mm. I, n- I never carved stone before in my life. In fact, I don't think I don't think I went beyond like a 3D design course. Yeah. In terms of thinking three dimensionally, but when I started carving stone, I kept that in mind, and that's become my mantra. You know, because if you have a facility for tools and patience, and you start to apply those two things, familiar and unfamiliar, you're going to figure them out. You right. Know? Absolutely. And like 99% of our students are probably not going to make it as artists. But if they understand those concepts through art, that facility for tools and patience, that complex problem solving, they're going to become successful in anything that they do. You know, right. yeah. So that's kind of become like the center of my, the core of my teaching is, is giving students a facility for tools and helping cultivate patience in in service to like complex problem solving. Right. So um, I don't. That was a long. Long tangent. I don't know where that question even started. No, no, that's good. No, that's good. And that kind of leads me into talking about uh, your teaching, like the like becoming a teacher. I know I went on my own uh, journey through MFA to bring me to finally understanding why I like teaching. You know what I'm saying? So, like, tell me in in your point of view, like, what got you into teaching, and what like kind of brought you in that direction, keeps you going. Well, first, first, I'd like to ask what what you like about teaching. What are you finding out? Since you're, <laughs> you're, you're you're kind of like how long you've been teaching? Oh, uh, so I've taught workshops and stuff before, but as it go along, mm-hmm. but in, in university, I've only I was teaching. You know, because of the program MFA program, they let you teach professor of record right. <laughs> for yes. whatever semesters that you're there. And now that I'm visiting lectures, so I've it's been yeah. about two two and a half years I've been teaching yeah. uh, classes on college level. But I think the one thing that I do find that I enjoy is specifically this semester where I taught life drawing, which is a little bit beyond uh, the regular intro, teaching people perspective, line, gestures, right. like stuff like that. Like when you finally get them to try to understand what they're seeing. I, I like the interaction and I like talking to them and I like yeah. seeing the light go off in their eyes and kind of that to me is the kind of payoff that you get from it. Like you invest yeah. so much into it because I go home and I'm thinking about them. How can I say it to get, you know, Sarah to understand what this is that she's doing wrong. I'm looking at their work. I'm looking at them. I'm kind of learning who they are, right? Because mm-hmm. they, each person has a different goals coming from a different perspective. Some of them want to get into photography or do something else. Some of them want to be museum curators, like whatever it is in that whole idea of learning them. And then giving them what they need. To me, yeah. that's the part that I'm really enjoying. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how do it's that's a big question, you know, because there's there's a lot of reasons. I mean, it really started off with me being an undergrad uh, at the University of South Dakota, and there was just this really, really um tight-knit group of undergrads and grad students and uh, across all fields and uh, Vermilion, South Dakota in the wintertime from about November through, you know, March is just cold and gray and snowy. So there's no better place to be than in the, in the studio working late nights and, you know, ordering in pizzas and making coffee at four in the morning and yeah. standing out in 30 below while your friends smoke oh, cigarettes. Man, good times, and, good times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I loved, uh, 
you know, I was getting ass assistance from a lot of graduate students when I was working on things. And I just, I loved that sort of back and forth, you know, and then eventually, you know, started, um, you know, helping other undergrads out with their, their works and just that, just that back and forth, just like thinking about how other people see a, a solution to a, to an obstacle. I don't want to say problems. Um, I like, I like obstacles or hurdles, you know, yeah. um, cause I don't, I don't see anything in art anymore as being a problem. You know, it's just like, I like those, I like those hurdles in front of me. Right. But, uh, when I got to grad school, um, at LSU, you know, we had classes of like 25 students and, uh, as a TA, you know, I would get opportunities to do little demos and stuff like that. And I remember the first demo that I ever gave, I was shaking so bad. I could hear my <laughs> voice shaking. It's like reverb. And I, I like took, I took myself aside after that. And I was like, all right, Ryan, if you, if you want to teach, you're going to have to figure out how to get over this. Right. And, uh, and then it just, it started coming real natural. You know, I, I liked, you know, a lot of grad students would like to kind of retreat to their studios uh to work so they're unbothered which i totally respect but i loved working out in the shop yeah and just kind of waiting for people to have questions so i could i could figure it out and and through that i'd end up learning a lot more about my work right and so you know when i got done with grad school i'd been in college i'd, I'd been in school since you know i was five years old so <laughs> I, I didn't want to be one of those people that went straight from undergrad to grad school to a teaching job because i i really felt like if i wanted to be a well-rounded educator i needed to have experiences beyond academics and you know a lot of people take breaks in between undergrad and grad school and i think that's a really smart thing i would have been a much more mature and productive graduate student to the benefit of myself and my faculty uh if I had 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 some other experiences under my belt, but I, I got momentum going kind of late in the game as an undergrad. I just wanted to keep it going. But, you know, after grad school, I had opportunity. I, I went back to Wyoming and uh, spent a year living with my mom. And I worked uh, construction with one of my best friends, framing houses and roofing houses. And through that, I figured out I could build anything, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. like when it comes to like doing things in my studio, uh, organization, uh, ergonomics, uh, you know, uh, building, building equipment, like I can do all of that. I can think my, my way through it because of that experience. And then I ended up moving to Denver and I worked for an artist named Lonnie Hanson, who is kind of a theatrical, immersive uh, magician. You know, he did, he's been making immersive environments for decades, like long be, before Meow Wolf and, you know, Other World Ohio and Hopscotch and all these places came mm -hmm. along, which are wonderful, wonderful spaces. But, you know, Lonnie's kind of a, a pioneer in that. And, you know, as a printmaker where you're looking at things from, you know, what's in your hands, essentially, uh, to something that's going to be like in an environment, you know, I'd be working on something and laboring over it and he'd like, smack it out of my hand and be like no just do this finish move on to the next one that's going to be seen from you know 15 feet away at night and they're just going to be passing by it so like hurry up right and so i started learning about how to like productively cut corners right, mm, right. not cutting corners to sacrifice the integrity of your idea yeah, or your image but cutting corners for the sake of being efficient right yeah, yeah yeah and so that was you know that was a huge huge change for me and then you know, I, after I was done working with him, 
at the time he was a lot more seasonal. Um, he did, Christmas is kind of his like his big thing. He does this thing in Denver now called Camp Christmas, which is this giant Christmas environment, but it's like overindulgent maximalist um, <laughs> camp. It's just it's it's incredible. But I started working for Chavo Studios, the um, the rock carving studio. And, you know, I told you about the facility for tools and patience interview, yeah. but the second interview was like a physical challenge. I went out to the carving studio and he gave me this like 30 pound hydraulic chainsaw. And he's like, you're going to plunge this saw into this block of granite. And I want you to put your mind on the tip of the blade. And I want you to think about this in terms of geologic time. He's like, it took the, the universe 4 billion years to make this rock and you're undoing it in seconds. So think your way through it. And so printmaking sits right in the middle of those two spaces, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, and, I, and I got both of those, like, the sort of polar opposites of uh, experience. And that led me into to teaching. I felt like when I, when I finally started teaching, I felt like I had had, you know, a, a diverse amount of experiences that could really help my students and help me um, and when I got back to into the classroom, I realized I'd learned more from carving stone about printmaking than I'd learned from printmaking, you know? Wow. Yeah. Because I was taking those 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 tools that I'd gotten, applying them to something completely foreign, getting experience out of that, and then bringing it back into the field that I was I was trained in. And so um, long story short, that's that's when I started applying that toward toward teaching. And it was really beneficial you know i got my first gig teaching as a visiting assistant professor at 27 i think uh davidson college out in north carolina and i talked yeah, there for I've been out, years. yeah yeah i was there during the steph curry era which oh. was great <laughs> gotta watch him play for his last two years of college wow that was a that was a highlight for sure but um you know coming at the end of the those two years i got uh, a call from joseph velasquez from drive-by press and you know, me and Joseph had known each other since I think 2001. I think we we met in Boston at SGC. Uh, John Hancock introduced us. And I, did you meet John at Print Austin? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that dude has introduced more people in the print, <laughs> print world than anybody I know. He's like a, a glue. And so Joseph called called me up and he's like, "Hey, me and me and Greg are splitting into two drive-by divisions. You know, kind of East Coast West Coast. Do you want to go out on tour?" And I was like, yep, I do. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> just turned 30. I'd been, I'd been teaching and I liked Davidson. It was great. But, I, you know, to be honest, I, I was teaching students that were finishing college and they'd go tour the, the world for a year, you know, oh, wow. and just like yeah. go, go do it, you know, and, and, and that was, that was great, great experience for them. But I, I never felt like I was making the impact that I wanted to make. You know, these students had seen more and done more than I had done at 30. And um, so I was like, you know, I, for me, it's about like cultivating more unique, diverse experiences are going to make me a better teacher. Right. And so when I got that opportunity to go out on tour with Drive-By, I, I jumped on it and I toured with Joseph for uh, a semester. And then I toured with this guy, Nick Alley, for the spring semester. And I think... In that that year, I think collectively, I visited over seventy universities across the country and up to Canada. And man, when you are when you're talking to a different group of students every single day, giving a lecture every single day, um, 
you get really good at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you have to. Yeah. It's all survival. So, <laughs> you know, I I remember when I first toured with Nick, um, our first first stop in the spring, um, we gave our lecture and we were kind of like running all over the top of each other, you know, because it was you know two people giving a lecture and we hadn't really gotten our groove and we got back in the car and we're driving down the road to the next school and we're like, man, we got to get this figured out. And slowly but surely within two or three, you know, times we were like, uh, we were like a machine, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I was you know, about the end of that, dude, but y'all are really like yeah. on yeah. top of each other, like really <laughs> like one mind, two bodies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of the things that, that, that experience sort of informed of me is like, I think, you know, drive-by press had had a number of people that had toured with them and like the unique perspectives that each person brought kind of became a part of the collective hive mind of, of drive-by, you know? Yeah. And so every person's sort of strength sort of, um, enriched the entire operation and it, be and it kind of became your own too, you know? And, uh, but you know, there was this sort of general framework, but every day was a brand new day. And so there was a lot of improvisation that had to happen. You had to become comfortable with that. And man, I was type A person before that experience. And then I went to the opposite end of that spectrum afterward. It's just like, there's no telling what the day is going to bring. And so you just got to be open to it. Yeah. And, and that like, I started cultivating that, that idea of being open and, and kind of setting myself up to have that openness by you know, preparing to a certain extent, but leaving a lot open for, for improvisation. And, um, even when I teach a lot, you know, a lot of the demos that I give, I'm so unafraid to fail. Like demo fail is kind of a, it's kind of a term in our, in our shop, you know, that will, will kind of yell out if something goes wrong, just so everybody <laughs> knows it. And then, and then we think our way through it collectively, you know? Yeah. Um, but so by the time I, I got here at a and Corpus Christi, I got here in um, the spring of 2010, I had had all these different experiences. It was right after I came off, off tour with uh, Drive-By Press. Uh, I went from that experience to working with my, my friend Andy with Chavo Studios. I spent a month building an amphitheater in the Grand Canyon, which was kind of like <laughs> this incredible experience that I've never built anything in my life that will be seen by millions of people, you know, like, I don't think any artwork that I've ever that I'll ever put out into the world will be experienced in the same way as this like amphitheater, right? Yeah. Um, little side little side note, but uh, I, I arrive here in Corpus like right after that, like weeks after that experience, and just hit the ground running. You know, got this this the shop to organize, got a whole new group of students to figure out a whole new region. You know, like South Texas is a, is a different place. You know, it's a it's a very unique environment um politically geographically culturally and so it was just this I, it just felt like the right place for me to be and you know like i said 55 percent of our students are first generation college students we're a hispanic serving institution we've got like you know really non-traditional students from you know all over the rio grande valley we've got a lot of veterans we've got a lot of working you know working parents it's just like this this mishmash of all kinds of people and when I started teaching, I felt immediately impactful. Like I felt like I felt like I was having an effect in a really positive way, um, trying to open students up to different types of opportunities and experiences. And, and my favorite type of student is 
the one that comes in in the the intro print class and it's like cowering in the corner <laughs> and by the time they graduate they're like you know leading the sort of discourse in the shop they're the you know the shop mom or the you know um you know somebody that's just like that gets people engaged yeah it's like yeah. caring for people and like committed to that sort of positive culture and so that's i mean that's one of the things that really sort of just like lights me up is seeing that seeing that that progression you know it's like why i like teaching lithography you, you pull out a rock and show people how to cut the first day and you get people crying oh yeah you know and by the time by the time they leave that class and they're like operating the press and they've got confidence and they're making work and they're troubleshooting and like that's how you know they're going to be all right you know yeah and just just getting students to the point where they want to experience more of the world they want to be more open to other types of of experiences other types of people you know like helping cultivate that it's just positivity and inclusivity and and hard work you know and dedication and community like all those things i've got to help cultivate here you know and the graduate students that i've been able to to bring in have been exceptional in in helping foster that as well to the point where like now you know i've got my one grad maclovio Cantu, teaching uh, as a as an adjunct professor and another former grad Lars is teaching as a visiting professor and like I don't have to think about what they're doing in the print classes they're just like they're running it they got the students excited the work that's coming out of, of their their classes is just incredible you know yeah and it's them you know like I had a hand in mentoring them but they're going off and they're doing it on their own you know and they're and they're carrying on that legacy of of getting people active and engaged and, and wanting to be communal and wanting to like see hurdles as, as something that's exciting to, to try to think through. And so it's just been a really, it's been a wild ride. Hey everybody, this is Chloe Alexander, printmaker from Atlanta, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Uh, yeah. I'm actually going to be giving a talk soon, and part of my um, part of the, the idea of the talk, the concept of it, is reinforcing that idea of what it means to be diverse and how yeah. how you have to approach it so that you don't negatively affect people, right? Right. And so even like you coming from a different culture from your students, maybe, and yeah. I've seen it before where people would have an aversion to going into arts academia, especially because you don't right. want, because art is already about you personally, right? Whatever mm -hmm. you're making, you know, it comes from your inside as a vulnerable place. And so you don't want to step into and have to annoyingly defend yourself to people constantly because it doesn't right. leave you room to just settle into yourself and grow. But I mm -hmm. like the idea of the community that you're fostering is that it does allow them to bring all of their own experiences and history into the classroom and you're yeah. just helping mold the process of it and helping them think exactly. about it and provide that encouragement for them to continue to grow. So why I think one reason why you may be getting good work in your 
your graduates are going to adjunct and do amazing things because you've given them the passion of art, right? The passion of printmaking, which is much more important than just learning simply how to use an exposure unit. Like I'm teaching you how to love what you do and what the value is of it. And so that's a, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal way to instruct people and and an an amazing gift to give them, honestly, because now they can take that and, and live out whatever they want. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the the seeing seeing undergrads of ours go off to graduate programs and and, and grow is uh, is a great joy of mine. Um, but also seeing the the grad students that have been able to teach going out and and doing it on their own, you know, has been um, one of my greatest joys for sure. It's it's the thing that keeps me engaged. It's like you know, just watching these transformations. Um, you know, just giving people a chance, let, you know, letting them have a, have a voice. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're not, we're not a, uh, top tier grad program. You know, we don't have the space, the faculty, the facilities, the money, but man, we get good students and we make them great students. You know, we like yeah. help. Well, we don't make them great students. We, we give them, you know, we help foster that, that greatness within them. And, um, yeah, I just like when I when I think about the people that have come through the program and what they're out out there doing uh, just in this little amount of time, you know, I, I feel like I've made good decisions. You know, I feel, <laughs> it feels it feels validating because academia is a is an unnatural world. You oh, know? absolutely. It's, it's 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 not an environment that I would choose to be in if I had, you know, if that was a choice. <laughs> you know, I, I'm. I, I, I like to think of myself as being kind of like a facilitator, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm an educator for sure, but I'm, I'm a, in, in terms of like my, my teaching style, I'm a facilitator. I want to facilitate experiences. I want to facilitate opportunity, um, you know, in, and and that gives students agency to like figure those things out for themselves. You know, like I, I kind of like see myself as sort of a counterweight to the, um, to the so other aspects of academics, you know, the, the, you know, um, conceptual rigor and things like that, yeah, you know, like yeah. definitely instill that through projects, but like, um, you know, there's gotta be a lot of different, different voices and teaching styles for, for effectiveness. Does that oh, make yeah. sense? Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, Cause every like, student doesn't respond to that. Like every student's yeah. not going to be oh, yeah. like, you know, ready to hang a, a toilet on the wall. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> call it art. Like, yeah. Like, you know, well, that's, and, and that's, that's not my bag. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then being observant and like figuring out who your students are helps, you know, cause I got some students that need me to lead them by the hand, you know, and I got other students that won't, they will do the exact opposite if I tell them to do something. So I have to kind of like casually <laughs> reference something <laughs> in passing as I'm just like, walking past them and it, and it gets in there in a different way you know it's like yeah you kind of have to figure out those those learning styles like uh one of the things i've been doing with my grads in our professional practices class is like figuring out your teaching style and figuring out your learning style and they're kind of myers-briggsy type tests where you answer a bunch of questions but yeah. like i am 100 percent kinesthetic learner like i have to do it and fail i can't watch it I can't listen to it. I can't read it. I have to do it, you know, and I, I recognize those students that, that need that, but also recognize the students that are, are more sort of visual learners or more auditory learners. And, 
Um, so it helps you be flexible as an educator when you start to understand that like not everybody learns the same. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's another you know this this semester I got a chance to go out on the road and do some little mini tours, um, which is something that I love to do. Uh, left over from the drive-by days is pop in as a visiting artist and get students excited. You know, like get in, fire them up, and get out. And <laughs> so I had an opportunity to go uh, talk to students at the University of Denver, Metro State, and uh, Front Range Community College, and then Colorado State and University of Northern Colorado did this little Front Range mini tour in, I guess it was October, because uh, I, I, you know, fit in visiting my family in Wyoming at the same time. But, you know, one thing that I learned from from drive-by is like, when I travel, I take I have a, I can't remember the size of the box. It fits a lot of 11 by 14s and larger, but it's a, you know, it's a two and a half inch portfolio box. And I, and I cram it with like, you know, a couple hundred prints. And then I'll take some of my own, you know, especially my woodcuts I've been making, I can roll them up in a tube and, and pack them out that way. But, you know, I will lay prints out from like hundreds of different artists across the tables. And so kind of turned it into something where I'll, I'll, you know, lay all the etchings out on one table, the lithos on another one, you know, and kind of give sort of a history of printmaking talk um, through all these different people's works because, you know, a lot of people are going to see my work and they might dig it, but not everybody's going to dig it. Right. You know, and you got to have something that people are going to respond to. And so the more works I take, the more opportunity there is for somebody to get fired up. And, um, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about printmaking is you can show students real work in real time. They can see how it's made. You know, you're not looking at slides. You're not looking at um, things in books or online. You can lay 100 prints down in front of somebody and show them all the possibilities. Yeah. You know, the range of possibilities for a particular idea. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a huge part of the my teaching component. Um is being able to to share works in real time with students and and talk about them. So, nah, that's what's up. Wait, man, we spent yeah. all this time talking about teaching. <laughs> yeah, it's not a teaching podcast, but <laughs> but I think it's, but I think it's fascinating. I think you're doing good work, and I think it's it's worth like sitting in that for a little while and, well, and showing like the experience of like you know it's something special to be able to connect with a student. It changes yeah. your life. I think I still think about my drawing one teacher, Mister Ray Elmore. He is still one of the best draftsmen I ever seen in person in my entire life. And just the the way that he taught us, the way that he suggested, the way that he did it, it really changed uh, my perspective, made me change my, my major to art. So <laughs> so it worked out. Joe. So you got to I, I love I love giving it up for that kind of stuff, man. For right. sure. And, and, you know, one thing that I, I talked to Miranda about when when I was uh on the Hello Print Friend podcast. And I don't think I had ever considered it at that time. And I, I mean, that's the beauty of, of being prompted with the questions. But, um, you know, I kind of realized I'd spent the last decade of my life trying to be the best teacher that I could be. And my, my creative work has kind of taken a uh, second stage to that. And then that's okay. Mm, you know, yeah. like I, I'm 42, I'm vital. <laughs> you know, like I, I've, I've spent the last 10 years and, and, and it's kind of an extension of my own work because all of the work that I've been making, it's extremely varied, you know, in process 
and technique and um, content, but it's, it all roots back to the same starting point, but I've been specifically doing that so I could have as broad of a range of abilities that I could teach as possible. Mm. You know, the things that I haven't known, I use my guinea, you know, my students as guinea pigs. If I theoretically know it, I'll give it to them as an assignment. I'll watch them, <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch them work through it, you know, and to, to amazing results. And then I know it, you know, but I've spent the last 10 years learning how to be the best educator I can be. And I know that I've still got a long way to go in that because, you know, there's, there's never an opportunity to not learn something. Um, and I feel like I'm learning more and more about myself as an educator the last couple of years. So I think COVID has kind of like facilitated that sort of reflection. But, you know, now I'm ready to start kind of focusing more on my work. I'm ready to start contributing more of my energies toward that because, you know, I've got the teaching down. I've got, I've got it figured out where I'm right. not having to, to juggle so hard. Um, and, you know, on, on top of that, I've got uh, helping my grads become good teachers as a part of that too. So I've got, I've got people that I can rely on to carry those same sort of ideals forward while also interjecting their own sort of voices and thoughts and processes and stuff, you know, their own strengths. But, but yeah, so that, that was one thing that I came across in that, that interview that has, has stuck with me is that it's okay. It's okay that I've spent the last decade of my life trying to become a jack of all trades um, in service to, to my students' success. And now I can, you know, I've, I've got this time to focus on my own work, you know? And so that brings the question, like, we, because you do cover so many different processes, like even on your website, they can look at uh, Riley, RyanO'MalleyArt.com and they can see, like, all the different techniques you use, woodcuts, screen printing, stencils, you, you I mean, all kinds of stuff. When you do think about mm -hmm. your work and it's time for you to sit down, blank piece of paper, what do you imagine? What process you do you lead with? What's your first? Well, right now, I've been working on these reduction woodcuts. So, I mean, that's a good segue into the 5x5 five five exhibition is these reduction woodcuts that I've been working on. Um, I think since around 2000. 14 um they're they're time consuming but, uh, <laughs> i can imagine these they yeah. look phenomenal if you look at the one i'm look at the one um victor on your website yeah. uh did no, phenomenal reason, yeah. phenomenal amount of colors in here how how many layers of reduction are we talking i i forget i it's between 11 and 16 and wow you know one thing that i kind of like resent about that that question not from the, the person asking but for myself is like is this the most efficient use of my time <laughs> you know and because what a lot of what i had done is there everything that's you know this uh this shapeshifter series that i've been working on for the last 10 years or so all stems from the starting point of stencil portraits of significant people in my life mm -hmm. and I, that started in grad school as sort of a cathartic way to keep my hand moving and my mind still as I was working on all these mesotants for my thesis exhibition. Um, you know, grad school is a very selfish time and, and it should be. Um, but that gave me time to reflect on all these significant people that, you know, were kind of like in my periphery as I was working toward my degree. And I just kind of started 
using that as this genesis point because the stencil is the first form of printmaking you know it's the oldest form it's right yeah you know cave cave people started that you know and like how about i take this this genesis point this first form of printmaking and see how expansive i can i can take these stencils because i've I, uh, portraiture is something that i've always enjoyed as well so i think of everything as sort of an extension of portraiture but like so you know i tried all these different ways of reconfiguring combining reducing filtering these stencils into different compositions and trying them in different processes and all, most of the stuff kind of ended up being dead ends you know not not necessarily because it, i mean some of the things i didn't think the work was as strong as other ideas and, and that's okay too you know but i was i was learning something i was figuring out like what is the best voice for this particular idea or composition you know in terms of process uh, in terms of color, composition, things like that. And um, so everything has sort of come from that that point until I started making these. Um, well, I made a reduction woodcut, um, the one of LJ Rodorado um, on there. That started off as like a demo print that I made for my classes when I first got down here. I'd never, never done reduction woodcut. In fact, relief printing was the thing that sort of was the most elusive to me until I arrived here, but I figured I would teach it. And so I started doing these demo cuts, just staying like a week ahead of my students and sort of thinking through the process as I went. And it, and it was exciting. I liked the way that I was layering color and thinking through color. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you like something, make it again and make it bigger, you know? And so I started, started doing that and, um, you know, learning color through printmaking is such an amazing tool because you have to have like especially with reduction printing you kind of have to have one part of your mind in the past and one part of your mind in the future yeah while you stay present with what you're doing the, yeah. the marks that you're making um but these reduction cuts when i started making them large scale i would basically just start with sort of a stroke pattern like outline of these things because I'd, I'd i'd previously cut these these totemic type heads into the laser cut them and because they were just like kind of these flat shapes and oh so the laser cuts were first those were first yeah oh wow okay yeah i, yeah. See, I thought it was the other way i thought you no i started with those and like the way this sort of progressed is i'd take the stencils and i would start to spray them down on wood and like overlap them over the crop over the top of each other and then carve out the negative space and they're kind of these like figurative portraiture jackson pollock looking you know uh just like slashes of line and and shape you know but with eyeballs and teeth poking out and uh and then i started taking sections of those and mirroring them to make these more like totemic type figures and then um and then i started i carved those as just like black and white woodcuts and then they became these laser cut stencils that has spawned a whole bunch of other works that I've kind of got on the back burner at the moment, but, um, but I was like screen printing the stroke pattern that those laser cuts, the, those laser cuts that I'd used onto a piece of MDF. And then I was thinking through all the marks and all the color for the, the head and the background all at once, all at the same point. And it just took so long. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it, it, it had a really difficult time thinking through it. And then when I went down, I was down in Chile a couple years ago and I went to this um, 
print shop in Santiago called Aguafuerte Taller and did a um, little reduction uh, Manary Noir litho of what ended up becoming Victor. I did this little like, uh, just a little reduction of it. And uh, so I was thinking through like mark making and value um, on that thing. And then I ended up recreating that as a little linoleum cut. And that's where it kind of clicked that that efficiency, even though I'm like kind of taking it a little bit further, I'm taking those heads now and I'm making small black and white linoleum cuts out of them to figure out my mark making. Mm. And then when I got that worked out, then I'll screen print those onto a big block and start carving and just thinking about the, the stages of color, but all the mark making is already laid out. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, so, I get that completely. Yeah, yeah. So I have this little black and white linoleum cut that it can be its own thing, you know, and then that, you know, I could print it on a t-shirt or make stickers or whatever, but then it also becomes this like full color um, print. And now I'm incorporating like the background of that, that print, Victor, you're talking about the, that pattern is laser cut, um, but then the, the head is hand cut. So I'm, I'm like cutting the background with the laser and it's leaving that silhouette of the head. And then I'm going in and, and working through that. Oh, so, that's a, yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, you, you know about the little micro generation, the Xenials? No. What is that? <laughs> it's, it's like, I don't know. Generations are silly. Uh, but it's like, <laughs> I think people from like 78 to 80 or 81, it's this micro generation, the Xenials <laughs> with, with an X. Um, and it's like, but, you know, I, at this point, half of my life is rooted in analog and the other half of my life is rooted in digital, right? As, as a person, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and so how that's manifested in my work is that I filter things back and forth from analog to digital, back to analog, back to digital. And it's just this constant back and forth exchange that, that like, that like warps and transforms these ideas into other things that that back and forth and i'm that's kind of i've I've realized is really starting to inform my teaching as well or like i guess it's always informed my teaching but i'm seeing how it's manifesting and how my students think through things you know especially now like i think it was 2019 that fall not to get too far back into teaching but that was when i showed up in the fall all my students had tablets and they were all figuring out procreate uh, and right, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm always looking for like, okay, for every individual student, what's your comfortable way of comp composing? Like, what feels best for you? Is it pulling things out of your sketchbook? Is it making a Photoshop collage? Is it making a physical collage? Is it you know? And Procreate just kind of blew up, and students were figuring it out, and I was seeing how comfortable they were with it. And it's a layer-based medium, so I'm like, okay, so now we figure out how to filter that into analog things you know um and so that that back and forth that transmutation between those two things has become really integral part of my work so it's even starting to show up now and like you know that recent woodcut victor using laser cutting for things that are super precise and then using my hand for things that appear to be symmetrical and precise but really are are extremely varied and and imperfect, you know? Yeah, so I really yeah. like that. I like that space. I do. I do too. And I like it. Like, as you described it, that idea that, and we're around the same age. So the idea that yeah. we're not, we're not too old that we've 
just being introduced to this kind of digital assets and stuff. But we're not so young that we never got to see the pre-digital world either. Right. And so we're sitting right there on that fence where both of them are equally as valid and neither Mm -hmm. one of them. And we know for sure that neither one of them have a benefit that is that is so excessive as compared to the other. Like the person that just uses their sketchbook will probably have just as great an idea as somebody that just uses their tablet. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. So it's more of we get a good idea that it's just another medium that you can use. And so it's like one more John Hancock famously says, cavemen no fool, cavemen no fool. That's that's one of the sage sage wisdom that sticks with me. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, and I, I I love that because you... You do get, especially in Victor, we'll go back to Victor real quick, and to say that that preciseness of the laser cut that you get is a great balance to the organic nature of stuff that's happening inside of the face. Like, yeah, so, so no, nah, I, I like that. That gives, that gives me ideas for my woodcuts. It was a real turning point for me because I've, 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 like, I've figured out those corners that I can cut, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I'd always, I always tell my students, like, find the, the fastest, easiest and cheapest way to get from point a to point b without sacrificing the integrity of your idea or your image you know Mm -hmm. and that's that's exactly what that comes down to um going back to that 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 conversation about like students in their sketchbooks and students on their tablets and things like that one of the things that i i realized going back to carving stone is that i think reductively and i think as a starting point there are this is just my my theory. I have no science to back this up, but I think, I think people <laughs> are either additive-minded or reductive-minded as sort of a starting point. And, you know, when I was in drawing class as a freshman, the first time that I coated a piece of paper with charcoal and used an eraser, that was like, that was a revelation, you know? Yeah. That, that, draw, that removing things, taking things away from a field was that sort of void made more sense to me than the void of a blank piece of paper. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like that void, that, that blackness, that expanse can be filled with anything, you know? Um, but like a blank piece of paper is a blank piece of paper. That's, <laughs> that, that was like, that's what that felt like in my mind. And so, you know, I started to realize that when I was in grad school and I took a workshop at Frogman's with Carol Wax and learned mesotent and I was like, oh, this is what I need right now. This this makes sense to me more than anything else. Yeah. Was reducing. And so then when I carved stone, that was a whole other like revelation. It's like I'm starting with this block of material, but it's a thing. And I'm carefully removing it to a point where it becomes this finished piece. And now I think about all of the things that that I like that are like that. Like I love I love editing papers like you know as a as a um grad coordinator and as a graduate professor i edit a lot of thesis papers and i love it like i don't know why <laughs> but I, I like looking yeah, at no, students I don't know why you like figuring that. out like what can you re- yeah what can you remove from this to make it stronger mm. you know uh, i love trimming trees like i love <laughs> trimming trees <laughs> that's like if i if i need a, a ticket out of academics it's going to be that um <laughs> We're making salsa, but uh, but I think that that's like that's an important observation to make as an educator. It's, it's it's important to make about yourself as well. It's like I like editing video too. I love shooting footage and 
removing it. And I would imagine if I was running a podcast like you, I would love <laughs> editing right. the the work. You know, it's it's just something that I'm really into. And so I've that's helped me when I'm teaching, see a student that might be more of a reductive mind. I can cater that, you know, I can right. cater that to you know them a little bit better. But then I say it's like, you know, if you've ever ridden a skateboard or a snowboard or anything like that, you have your 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 dominant foot forward, but you're not going to be great unless you can figure out how to ride with your non-dominant foot forward. Right. You know? Yeah. And so that, you know, you you find that sort of window into making work that feels comfortable and feels confident. And then you start to focus on that non-dominant side, you know, and so I guess everything's about that back and forth with me, like between these sort of polar opposites and filtering them back and forth between these two spaces. I love so, that, man. I love it. And so, yeah. so as we, as we wrap this up, like, do you see these kind of reductive woodcuts to be the direction that you want to go with your personal work or, or do you see I, I other do. things happening? Well, you know, I've, I've got all these other ideas on the back burner and I think it's part of that improvisational mind that I've cultivated and, and the love of, 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 of performance, you know, um, not necessarily artistic performance, but I, I like one-offs. I like one-liners. I like puns. I think puns are the lowest form of comedy, but they're the highest form of printmaking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I'm like, I got all these other ideas that I'd like to try out that can just be a one and done. But on the other hand, you know, if you don't, if you don't dive deep, into something you don't learn all you can from it you right. know and yeah. that's that's been one of my weaknesses and i think that's i think that's just part of our culture of just having too much all the time you know it's like we want we want to get invested in everything you know it's like too many interests and so my work has kind of been like that it's been a little bit schizophrenic to a certain extent and so i started making these woodcuts and figuring out these little ways that I can change things to make them more fast, more efficient, more exciting, more vibrant. You know, there's a whole bunch of other color patterns and schemes that I haven't even touched on. And so I want to get, I want to get more out of this process before I move on. And it's something that I'm like, I'm forcing myself to do, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I'm still pumping out a bunch of other, like, you know, one-offs and stuff like that for print fairs and things. So I like that. That's, it's part, you know, it's another aspect of like print culture that I love is being able to like, you know, be at print fairs and stuff with, yeah. with my, my friends. Yeah. Um, but I really want to like get as much out of these as I can. So I've been thinking like, you know, I would like to do, I think I've done five of these. I'd like to do five more, you know, and one of the things I learned from Tom Huck, you know, over the years is like, well, he, he, he thinks of his, his work in terms of years, right? It's going to take him two years to draw and carve this this diptych right and so when he's about halfway through that he's about halfway through the drawing for the next one you wow. know yeah and so i'm kind of i'm kind of thinking of things in that in in those terms i have i have another image that's ready to go um to to transfer and to start carving and as soon as i do that i'll start working out another one of these smaller lino cuts so i can have something sort of in the pipe like like ready to go sorry i'm letting my dogs in the shop um anyway so uh yeah i want to do about 10 of these but then the other thing uh if you on my website there's a there's a little etching called joel 
um, and it's a bunch of color variations of the same. It looks like the woodcuts, but they're they're etchings with aqua tint, and then they're printed over uh, digital color. And so I really like. I mean, etching is my first love. I think that it is. It's my favorite process because it, it is this this sort of um, dance between indirect and direct action, right? Like you make direct action on the plate and then it's indirectly sort of um, composed through a chemical process. And then, you know, some people like to like very particularly control that etching process, but I don't. I like, you know, I like seeing what happens. I like when my etching gets to a, a point where it looks ruined and then digging all of the, the history out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did this. It was for a portfolio that I did a um, number of years ago where I made one of these totemic heads as a small etching. So I made the etching in Aquatint and then I scanned the plate and I went into Photoshop and I started like coloring into uh, the spaces and then printing it out on a digital washi paper and using like the Yuji Hiratsuka technique of like spritzing the, the washi paper, you can see through it. So I could ink up my plate I could spritz the paper, I could line up the colors that I digitally printed and run it through the press. And what I loved about that is like I could get more complexity of color than I could get by doing it by hand, right? And you know, one of the things that you have to teach students, especially in this digital analog world is again, like, like, like finding ways to creatively cut corners. So with those etchings, I, I want to make a series of, you know, maybe eight of those as well um, with the digital color, but I want to make every single one in the edition unique. Because if I have all these layers open in Photoshop, I can quickly go and change the hue yeah, of all the yeah, different yeah. colors. And so, like, why would you print out 20 of the same thing if you could make 20, a, a, a varied edition of 20 that's then held together by this etching and, and aqua tint? And I want to bring some mesotint back into it because that's also a love of mine, but like those two things are kind of like my, they kind of seem like my concentration for the time being. Nah, that's like, a, when that's I get exciting. done with those, maybe I'll move on to something else. I don't know. <laughs> nah, that's, that's exciting, man. And I love, I love that, that spirit of experimentation, you know, just, a, just going forward, just adding this and adding that and maybe add some digital and, you know, maybe do this and, you know, maybe reductive. Yeah. And I, I love that, man. But that's the, the best thing about printmaking, that it, it's not a singular precious canvas that we're making. We can right. literally make as many and as much as we want <laughs> at right. any time it's, we it's, feel it's like such it. such an yeah. expanded field. Exactly. I mean, and so you, you get, know, you so got, you get to, it, like, and to not only have 100 ideas, but you get to actually do 100 ideas if you right. feel like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah, That's too. good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Tell them where they can find you, man, to get in contact with you. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Ryan O'Malley art. And that is also my, um, my website, ryanomalleyart.com. And then, um, yeah, I, uh, those are, those are the only two platforms that I'm on, um, online. And then, you know, I'll be all over print Austin this year. I'm going up to SGC in Madison to, uh, put together a panel called storytellers, um, and uh, I'm going to be doing a um, a demonstration with an artist up there named Jenny Angus, where we're going to do some large scale textile screen printing, like Ooh, wallpaper type yeah, stuff. So nice. 
So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, you gonna be getting out at all? Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely, I'm trying to make it in print, Austin, and okay. hopefully I will. I, I have a show going up like the week after it, so maybe we'll see. But I'm trying to make yeah, it print, maybe. Austin, you've and been, I'm trying been, to. <laughs> you've been burning the candle at both ends. Yes, it looks like you got an amazing studio spot there. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It's a, it's a good time, man. It's a good time. I'm I'm happy for it. I needed it coming out of grad school. It gets me right back into that community aspect that you know we all miss during the lockdown. Uh, yeah. You know, get to have some visitors, get to share with the people. You know, it's the whole thing, man. Community well, printmakers. That's what yeah. we do, man. <laughs> yeah, man. You're, doing, you're do doing great work with this podcast too. It's uh, keeping the conversation going. It's been really, really a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, absolutely, man. I appreciate you for coming on, man. And we'll definitely, yeah, definitely holler at you. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bay. Special episode. Supporting Print Austin. Go check them out at printaustin.org. See all the events. Get you some prints. <laughs> Support the artist. It's a good time. I love it down there. And all my printmakers out there. As always, there's no room for print faking. Only print making in the studio. This 2022, no print faking, baby. Let's make some stuff. Let's make some noise. That's what we on, baby. We'll be back with you. More episodes of The Noise coming soon. Yes. Holla at your boy. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about The Noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.